0: Hi, this is Lily and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We have temporarily suspended our in-person service and will be broadcasting live via our Facebook page, Beacon Church, and on our website beacon.church forward live on Sundays at 10:30 a.m. until further notice. Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. And a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to connect with you soon. So have you ever been parched. I mean parched, not like thirsty, because we all get thirsty every day, and we grab a glass of water, and thirst is quenched, and we're good to go. I mean like I mean, so dry that like your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth and your lips get all dried and cracked and your skin itself starts to dry out. Have you ever experienced this? Uh, Back in my my wrestling days, I would have to cut weight very often. There was a few times where the the weight loss was pretty extreme. And I, I remember some of these moments where it had been like about a week since I'd eaten anything. And it's been like two or three days since I've even had a glass of water. And I would go and I'd throw on a rubber suit and I would go run. A couple of miles, and then I'd go sit in a sauna just to try and evacuate anything else that might be in my body to drain out every last ounce. And in those moments of just thirst, I was parched. It was this desperation. I would actually, I would get up and I would grab water and I would swish it around in my mouth just to feel what it felt like to have a wet mouth again, but i have to like spit it out without swallowing it. And uh, this is dumb, by the way, don't do this. Uh, <laughs> I apologize to anybody who's still wrestling. Uh, but I remember in those moments, I would long so much for that, that moment where I'd be able to step off the scale and I'd make weight and I'd be able to take a drink and I'd just be refreshed. And I imagine that most of you hopefully haven't experienced that level of uh, being parched physically But at the same time, I think we all have, in various ways, experienced what it is to be spiritually and emotionally parched, just so dried out, like our our reserves have been depleted, and we are desperate, and we are longing to be refreshed. And today, as we continue in our our series called Refresh, we're going to be looking at Psalm, uh, two Psalms, actually, it's 42 and 43, but... It's actually one psalm, even though it's kind of broken up in our Bibles between these two different chapters. Scholars tell us it's it's one psalm, and as we, we read it, you're going to kind of see that it, it flows together as one psalm. And I want to encourage you to open up. If you have a Bible, open up or a tablet or whatever device you're using. If you're watching at live.beacon.com church. You can actually just hit the tab that says Bible. Uh, We're going to be reading it from the NIV. And I'd love for you to have a Bible because we're going to read through right now. We're going to read through the whole Psalm all together. And in this Psalm, there's these, it it kind of runs almost like a a song in a way where there's like a verse and then there's a chorus and verse, chorus, verse, chorus. That chorus kind of repeats three times. And I, I would love for you, if you're here in the room, especially, and even if you're at home, when we get to that chorus, and I'll give you your cue, if you'll read it out loud with me. That, uh, that little section, we'll kind of do that three times. But this, uh, the author of this psalm, he is spiritually and emotionally parched. He, just, he has nothing left, and he's longing to be refreshed. And he begins in verse 1, he says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. And then he goes into the the first refrain here. And I'd love for you to, to read this with me in verse five. Why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And then he continues on. He says, my soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? And he goes back into that refrain, and again, if you'd read it with me, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He returns again, vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against the unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O oh God, my God. And one more time, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I love this psalm because it's so real and, and so authentic. You know, he has this this real longing in his heart. And by the end of it, it it definitely ends on a more hopeful note than it starts. And yet at the same time, he never gets the the refreshment that he's looking for. He's still kind of stuck in this desert place. But at the same time, there's a little bit of refreshment that he gets along the way. And today, as we are continuing in this series, Refresh, we're not going to be talking about the capital R refresh, like the big refresh, like the stream. You know, this guy says he's longing to come back to the stream. He doesn't find the stream yet. He knows he's going to get there someday. He knows it's coming. But what he needs in the meantime is kind of this, this lowercase r refresh right? Just the, the enough of the kind of the sips of water along the way that will preserve him until he can get back to the stream, until he can be refreshed again. It's less like coming back to the stream, and it's a little more like, like filling up your canteen. And so today, uh, we're not going to talk about what it's like to get back to the stream. And we'll talk about that in future weeks. Today, we're going to talk about filling up your canteen, and being able to have the refreshment along with you, just those sips of water that you could take along the way when you're caught in these desert places, because we are going to experience this. The scriptures are clear. What's also fascinating about this psalm is he's in this kind of depressed state, and nowhere does it mention that there's any sin in his life. It's not like he, he did anything wrong to get here. God has him in this place, but it's not because he did anything wrong. Just God has him here. It could be for any number of reasons but we're going to face these times. And if we didn't do anything wrong to find ourselves in this place, then we can't do anything right to get ourselves out of this place. Sometimes we just have to get through it. And so what we want to look at today is these, these little sips that will re- refresh us, this lowercase r refreshment that we can find along the way to persevere. And as we look at this psalm, the psalmist responds with four different responses. He responds in four ways that kind of make up this lowercase r refresh. It's the the four responses that compose his canteen, and I want to look at these four responses. And uh, I, I'm going to just let you know I think each of these responses could be developed more, and each one could be a message in and of itself. But I'm going to treat them as a unit because I also think if you take away any one of them, the the canteen starts to leak. You're not gonna you're not gonna find the refreshment that you need. And so, as we look at it, the first response that he has is he is emotionally honest. As you read through this, you see this is a guy who is brutally honest, even embarrassingly honest about how he's feeling. And he's very honest about how he feels about God. He pulls no punches, right? He he says, you, God, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. Like, he's making these accusations against God. Your waves did this. Why have you forgotten me, God? Why have you rejected me? These are, these are accusations against God, and, and he's being honest how he feels in this moment. But not only is he honest about what he feels, he's also honest about how deeply he feels it. Look, he says, my, my tears have been my food day and night. That means, that means he lost his appetite, he's not able to eat, he's just, he's just crying all day and night. This is what's been sustaining him, is his tears. He's talking about pouring out his soul. The, the, the depths of who he, are, he, he, who he is, he's just pouring it out. He says, my soul is downcast within me. This, this despondency, this despair, even depression. He says, my bones suffer mortal agony. This is so intense. The spiritual and emotional weight of this is so intense. He feels it in his bones. Have you been there? Have you felt this? Have you felt kind of that that emotional and, and spiritual desperation where you feel it in your bones? And here's the psalmist and he's feeling that and he, he's honest about it. He opens up. He's honest to himself. He's honest enough to even write it down for others to see this. Now, if I'm honest, I'll admit that I have felt a lot of the same things that the psalmist talks about feeling, uh, but I am not usually that honest about it. <laughs> Uh, I don't feel comfortable sharing that. I don't feel comfortable opening up. I don't even feel comfortable mentioning it to God. I, I try to downplay it. I try to minimize it. I try to suppress it as much as I can. And, and I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm afraid. Like, I'm afraid that God isn't going to be able to handle my accusations against him. But he's God. He can, he can handle what we throw at him. But I, I also know, especially, especially in our society for men, there is this this pressure to be strong, and we see strength as being kind of emotionally detached, uh, not being overwhelmed by emotion. And, and so much so that as I was talking to Robert earlier this week, he reminded me of research that Brene Brown uh, came out with several years ago, and in her research, she found that men not only feel like they can't kind of be open and honest and vulnerable, but very often, the women in their lives don't want them to be open and honest and vulnerable. Like, they do a little bit, but only to a degree. Like, if you share too much, that goes too far. And, and I was, as I was reading this, I was thinking, what, what do you think his wife was feeling as he was writing these things? Like, is it okay that he talks about weeping day and night and this mortal agony in his bones? It sounds like hyperbole, but it's not. This is what he's feeling. And he's brutally honest. And we can't move forward from these desert places without being honest about how we're feeling in these situations. To deny it is going to actually stunt us. It's going to prevent us from moving forward. Dan Allender and uh, Tremper Longman, they... uh, said it so well. They say, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They're the cry that gives the heart a voice. However, we often turn a deaf ear through emotional denial, distortion, or disengagement. We strain out anything disturbing in order to gain tenuous control of our inner world, and we're frightened and ashamed of what leaks, out, uh, leaks into our consciousness. In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. The psalmist gets this. He knows that if he wants to change, if he wants to get through this desert place, he has to be brutally honest and vulnerable before God. That God can take it, that God can carry him through it. He doesn't need to have that pretense anymore. It's the only way to change. He knows this. And and In fact, many of you might be familiar with uh, the New York Times bestseller, uh, The Body Keeps Score. And uh, the author uh, of this book about trauma, he actually says that modern neuroscience knows what apparently the psalmist kind of understood f- 2,500 years ago. He says that neuroscience research shows that the only way we can change the way we feel is by becoming aware of our inner experience and learning to befriend what's going on inside ourselves. Now, I want to point out, he says, neuroscience. This isn't psychology, right? This isn't like babble or neuroscience. This means the brain chemistry, the physiology of the brain can only change when we are honest about what's going on inside ourselves. And, And this is the first step. This is the first response the psalmist has to this desert place is he's just, he's honest. This is how I'm feeling. And you see throughout the rest of the psalms, he doesn't even believe half the stuff that he's feeling, but that's how he feels. And he gets it out there. He owns up to it. And this is hard to do. I mean, for some of you, this comes easy, like you wear your emotions on your sleeve. But for others, I know this is hard to do. For some, it might feel like it's impossible to do because you spent decades actually sidestepping your emotions and trying to avoid them and to the point where you might not even know what you feel anymore. And it might be difficult, but it's so, so important if we want to move forward. In fact, if if you look at the saints throughout history, you find how important every one of them found this idea of of emotional honesty and self-examination. All the way back, St. Augustine, I'm going to run through a bunch. How can you draw close to God when you're far from your own self? Meister Eckhart in the 12th century, no one can know God who doesn't know himself first. Almost all our problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. Our wisdom, John Calvin, the the reformer, our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. Martin Lloyd-Jones, you read the lives of all the great saints through the centuries, doesn't matter what communion they belong to, and you'll find that every one of them has emphasized the importance of self-examination. Every one of them. Pete Scazzaro, he was actually a pastor right over here in Queens. He wrote this fantastic book called "Emotionally Healthy Spirituality." But he said emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It's not possible possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And and I think in our world today, uh, especially, and I know it's not exclusively men, but I think especially for men, we have to recover this Christians for. for, for The centuries have known that we need to know what's going on in ourselves. We need to be open, and this is where the psalmist starts. But it's not where the psalmist stops, right? Because there's this other side of our society that says, yes, get in touch with your emotions, and then just run with it. Like, find out what's going on, follow your heart, live your truth. But that's not what's going on here either, right? He starts by listening and being honest about what's going on emotionally, but then he continues, and his second response is to discern his longings discerns his longings and there's a lot of things that can kind of trigger uh, the the depression, spiritual depression, or emotional despair in our lives, right? You you can go through something traumatic. You can experience grief or loss. It could be relationship strife in your life. You can simply have just a predisposition toward it. Some people have a predisposition toward it. Other people, it could be like a biochemical uh, or, or physiological issue that's going on in their lives. Other people are just wrestling with a purposelessness. There can be lots of triggers that kind of put us in this position where we have this intense longing, this thirst that isn't being quenched. And as we read through this psalm, we see some of the, the triggers that the psalmist experienced. So one of the triggers, it says that he's, he's kind of being taunted by his enemies. I think today we'd call it like psychological bullying. He was experiencing psychological bullying. Or in verse four, uh, I think this one's relatable, he says, uh, these things I, I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God with shouts of praise among the festive throng. Those of you who are, are tuning out on the stream right now, remember when you get to, you used to, like, come to the house of God and sing? And, like, there is this longing to be back together. Uh, how good was it to actually be able to sing today uh, for those of you? Yeah, it was fun, right? Uh, but this, this idea of, of how I used to, Right. This, is, this can be a huge trigger. The way things used to be, getting back to the good old days. How many times have you heard people say, I can't wait till things get back to normal, right? How it used to be. And that, that sense of, oh, the way things used to be can be another trigger. One of the other triggers that we see in his life is he, he talks about being in the land of Jordan and uh, on Mount Hermon. And what's significant about this is Mount Hermon is, is located up in the northeast corner just outside Israel. And it's, it's the first stop on your way to exile. So there's a period in Israel's history where they, they were occupied by a foreign enemy, by the Babylonians, and they were taken captive, and they were dragged off. Most all of them were dragged off, taken captive in Babylon. And scholars point out that this psalmist is probably writing from that experience of being dragged off. So he's lost everything. He's lost his home, He's lost his nation, his people are now captive, he is a prisoner, he was a a temple worker and now he doesn't have the temple, so that means his job has been indefinitely furloughed. Uh, He's lost everything, so he has all sorts of reasons to be depressed and downcast. And yet, and yet, when he starts off this psalm, he doesn't talk about wanting to go home, he doesn't talk about wanting his job back, he doesn't talk about wanting his nation back. He says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want these other things. He does express those desires throughout the Psalms, but what he's longing for, this deeper longing, is he wants to be back in the presence of God. He understands that all of these other surface longings are just pointing to that. Like, yes, he wants to go home, back to their promised land, but he also knows that that promised land that he calls home— is just a a temporary foreshadow of the true promised land, which is in the presence of God. Yes, he wants to go back to the temple courts where he gets to worship with his spiritual family, but he also knows that the temple courts is just a a foreshadow of being in the heavenly courts in the presence of God, worshiping with his spiritual family there. And, And yes, he wants his enemies to stop taunting him and he, he wants, instead of being, you know, accused all the time, he wants to get that affirmation and, and justification from people. But he also knows and he understands what he longs for deeply is that divine affirmation from his heavenly father. This is well done, good and faithful servant. He wants these things, but he knows that deeper there is a longing for God himself. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, he says it it's so well. He says most people, if they've uh, really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. There is something we have grasped at, that first moment of longing which just fades away in the reality. And I think everyone knows what I mean the wife may be a good wife, and the hotels and scenery may have been excellent, and chemistry may be a very interesting job, but something has evaded us. Earthly pleasures, I love this, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. See, he gets this. The psalmist, he gets this. He gets that he has these longings, but they, weren't, they aren't for the real thing. They're only there to arouse his longing for the real thing, which is God himself. And so what his soul pants for, and he knows this, he's able to discern this, what his soul pants for is God, the living God. That's what he is longing after. Not just these surface things. Lindsay and I finally uh, booked a little getaway yesterday. Uh, going to do an Airbnb. And uh, I have been very much looking forward to just getting away. Uh, this has been a season uh, and a half. And I am just really excited for a break. Uh, but at the same time, because there, there's this this voice inside of me that says I need this, like I need this, I need this, and when you get it, it's going to be okay. But I know that's not true. I know I want this. I know it's going to be good. I know. It, but this little getaway that Lindsay and I are going—this isn't going to refresh my soul. Like it'll be nice, and it might you know help in some ways. But if I put on this little getaway the weight of refreshing my soul, I'm going to come back very disappointed, right? because it could never bear the weight of refreshing my soul. And the psalmist knows this. So he doesn't just long to go back to Israel. He longs to be in the presence of his God. He's able to discern those longings and direct his affections in that direction. His third response is applied theology. See, uh, as I mentioned before, in our day and age, you get in touch with your emotions, you find out what you're feeling, and then you pursue it, right? Follow your heart. That's not what he does. He does something really unusual. He understands what's going on. He feels, he he understands as long as he discerns what's going on, and then he starts to talk to himself. Look at, this is the refrain that you read, but look at what he says. He says, why my soul? He's talking to his soul at this point. He's actually addressing his soul. So why soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. So instead of just kind of listening to what's going on inside him and going with it, he actually challenges it. And he's like, wait wait a second, self? No, 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 I'm gonna to talk to you for a second. Martin Lloyd joins, he, he captures it so well. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? I know talking to yourself isn't usually a good thing, but in this case, it is, all right? He says, take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning you have not originated them, but they're talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody's talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment, he's talking about the author of this psalm. This man's treatment was instead of allowing the self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. He says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? He asked. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and he says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. So he doesn't just suppress what he's feeling, right? He listens, he acknowledges what's going on in his soul, he hears it out, but then he stands up and he says, Self, now I'm going to talk, and, and you're going to listen to me, and I'm going to address what's going on in myself, and I'm going to apply the truth of God that I know, and look what he does. So, so at first he, he just he questions himself. He's like, wait a second, why are you downcast? Right? We're, we're told today that you're not allowed to question emotions, uh, which there's, there's a part of that that's fair. Like if you feel something, you feel something. But it doesn't mean you ought to feel that way. It is okay to question whether you should feel the way you do. So he does, he questions it. And then he tells himself, put your hope in God. And then he continues on, and he actually expresses his hope in God. He says, I will yet praise him. And this is both, uh, I, I think, an action, where I think in this moment, he decides, I'm going to praise God right now but he also, this is a a sign of his hope where he knows, he reminds himself that there's going to come a day when God is going to show up and God is going to give that capital R refreshment and it's going to be so good that he's just going to praise God. Like he won't have to try to praise God. It's just going to come out of him. He knows that's coming. So now he says, I'm going to praise you now, but I also know I'm going to praise you in the future. And he says, all of this is rooted in my Savior and my God. The reason he's able to do this is because of his theology. I know we, we, often think of theology as kind of this heady, academic, esoteric thing, but theology is simply what you think about when you think about God. We all do theology all the time, but his theology is solid. It's actually robust. He has a multifaceted view of God. This is all the ways he refers to God in this psalm alone. He says, living God, the mighty one, my savior, the Lord, Yahweh, it's his, his proper name, the God of my life, my rock, my stronghold, my joy, my delight. He has a multifaceted view of God, and and none of these are, are original to the psalmist. These are actually the ways that the scripture talks about God. And so this psalmist, in his experience, he has come to know God as he's revealed himself through scripture. But notice all the my's in here. My Savior, Lord, my life, my rock, my, my, my. This isn't just this academic exercise. This is very personal for him. So he's taking the truth about God revealed in scripture, but it's personal. He knows this God. And he's able to, to preach to himself in this moment because he knows his God. He's able to speak the truth of God back into this. And we, man, we're, we're in so much better a place than the psalmist because we have a revelation of God that he only dreamed of. Chris talked about this last week because God has revealed himself in nature. God has revealed himself in scripture, but God has revealed himself Primarily and first and foremost, in Jesus Christ, and so we get to look to Jesus to know who our God is, and do you know your God and you're able to to speak to the truth of who He is, especially in those moments where you are down and depressed and desperate and thirsty for him when you when you're feeling sorrowful and, and just the weight of uh, the world is, is casting you down like this psalmist. Are you able to remember that Jesus himself felt sorrow very similar? In fact, sorrow so so acute, so profound, that he thought the weight of that sorrow would be enough to kill him. And when you feel that, are you you're reminded that your sorrow will certainly end because Jesus chose to die for the sorrow that should have killed me and you? And in those moments where like the psalmist, you feel like God has rejected you or abandoned you or he's forgotten you. And and I think we all feel this at times. When you do, do you hear Jesus cry from the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when you feel neglected by God, are you able to remember that you will certainly never, never be forgotten? You'll never be forsaken. You'll never be left behind because Jesus was forsaken on your behalf. And when your soul is parched and your resources are depleted and you have nothing left, are you able to to remember and hear Jesus from the cross say, I'm thirsty? And when your soul is thirsty, are you able to remember that Jesus drank down the cup of bitterness so you and I will one day most certainly be refreshed? Because this is my God. This is our God, and is this the God that you're able to speak back into your life when your, your soul is saying, where are you, God? I'm downcast. Are you able to speak this truth back into yourself? And, and if you are not in a place right now where you feel like you're in the desert, now is the time to build this theology. Now is the time to fill your canteen, right? Because it's going to be a lot harder to fill this when you're in the desert. So much harder. Now, when you're in that place where you feel like, all right, I'm, I'm doing okay, feel this. Get to know this God. See how he's revealed in scripture, but let it be deeply personal as well so that when you find yourself in that desert place, you're able to, as the psalmist did, preach to himself, apply his theology practically to himself. The fourth response that he has is to persist. Persistent repetition you notice that he doesn't say this refrain once. It actually comes up three times, but it's interesting if you follow it, because the first time he starts with, you know, as the deer pants for streams of water, I'm, I'm thirsty for you, God, and I'm just, he talks about the way things used to be, and then he preaches to himself. He says, why are you downcast? Put your hope in God. And then he finds himself downcast again. He says, why are you, he says, I'm, I'm downcast. But this time he actually remembers God in his downcast state, and he remembers him, and he remembers that God loves him, and that God is singing this song over him, and his very next breath, all right? So he remembers who God is, but in his very next breath, he says, God, why have you forgotten me? Why have you neglected me? I'm feeling this agony in my bones. It wasn't enough. So he comes back to it again, and he preaches himself to himself again, and he comes out of it, and this time, he, he asks God for things, but he's, he's still wrestling with this, and he still feels the weight of it, but his hope is a little bit more. Right? And he ends on a, a slightly more positive note. But even then, that he, his hope is starting to be restored. He still comes back and he preaches to himself again. This isn't a one-time deal where like, you just kind of recite a verse and you're good to go. No, it's this persistent repetition. Coming back, taking another sip of water, taking another sip of water when he's found in this desert place. And he's finding the refreshment he needs to continue on, to persevere until he gets to experience that capital R refreshment, which is coming and he knows it because he knows who his God is. Now I want you to imagine for a moment if, if this is not only how you experienced these dark and difficult times, but what if we as a community became a place that did this so well? What if Beacon was a place where we could be emotionally honest? where we could express the reality of what's going on inside our souls without there being fear of shame or condemnation, but we could be be truthful about these things? And what if we, as a community of faith, we were able to work with one another to actually figure out what are those deeper longings that, we're, that these are pointing to, to discern our longings together? And what if we were then able to apply theology together. We were able to preach the gospel to one another and remind ourselves of the truth of who Jesus is when we start to forget or or our hearts aren't believing what we know to be true. And what if we decided to persist in this together? What, What a community we would become We'd be this oasis in the desert for people that you know, you know there are friends and family members and people out in this world that have been wandering through this desert desert, and they're so, so thirsty. And what if we get to be the refreshment that they need until God shows up with his capital R refreshment and he does big, big things and he proves himself in mighty ways and he does that, but he doesn't do it every time. Sometimes he drags us through the season but we can't do this as a community unless we're each doing it individually. And so it starts with you. Are you willing to be emotionally honest about where you're at, to own up to what you're feeling inside? Are you willing to do the work of trying to discern what those longings are pointing toward? Are you willing to, to, to preach to yourself, to take the things that you know about God through scripture and, and preach them to yourself, to talk to yourself, to not just be swept up by your feelings but to, to control and speak to those things and to persist in it, to keep coming back to it, to make it a habit daily coming back to it. So that you and I can not only experience the refreshment we need, but we can actually be a place that is refreshing to the world around us. Let's pray. Father, you are good. And we know this. And we, you are faithful, And you are our joy and our delight and our stronghold and our refuge and our rescue. We know these things, God, and yet there are so often times where we just don't feel it. We feel like you've abandoned us. We feel the weight of the world, God. And I I pray when we find ourselves in those desert places that we will be able to come back. Come back to these reserves and and to sip on the truth and remind ourselves that you are good, you are faithful, and we will stand in your presence one day fully refreshed. God, I pray that we are able to not only do this for ourselves, that, that we can extend this to other people in our community, that we as a church can be an oasis in the desert for people who are so thirsty parched on a spiritual and emotional level, God, and that through this people would come to know you and love you and treasure you to find that you truly are our joy and our delight. In Jesus' name, amen.